Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hello, good morning, good evening, and good night to villagers all around the world. I'm so thrilled to welcome you to a tactical and practical session on marketing and marketing operations from the one and only Chris Toy, who is CEO and co-founder of Marketer Hire, which is a leading talent marketplace used by thousands of companies, including many villagers, and some other companies you might have heard of, like Netflix and Lambda School and Plaid and, and AngelList. So, Chris brings over 20 years marketing experience, and he's worked on global brands. He's worked on direct mail. He's worked on every channel right up to Clubhouse, and um, he is a treasure trove of information. So, And Chris is also an angel investor for Purple Arch Ventures, which, uh, Northwestern University alumni. I just thought it might be helpful to show the range of what Marketer Hire and Chris focus on today, everything from Amazon marketing, brand marketing, CMOs, content marketing, email marketing, growth marketing, paid search, SEO, social media, every facet uh, of marketing. So I think within reason, every marketing question is fair game today. So um, without further ado, Chris, let's jump in. And you've been on record saying most people jump into testing before identifying their ideal customer profile. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen that mistake and then how somebody can really focus on the target demo and the messages. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's something that, you know, I think, I think marketing, uh, you know, is, is, is a fairly straightforward profession and straightforward for uh, uh, business department. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out uh, how to put your product in front of your customers and how to convince them to buy. And so, you know, first principles of marketing is knowing who your customer is. And, and, and a lot of the time, you know, we'll, I've worked with or, or, or my friends, they will be, you know, somewhere, it could be early stage and honestly, pretty far down the line too, when they're still asking themselves, you know, who actually is the customer for this product, which, which is really, um, you know, I get it, uh, but, but certainly not something to be taken lightly, you know, and, and even worse, a lot of the time, um, you know, we find out that people are, or founders are, are trying to test their way, you know, they think, oh, product market fits, I'm trying to find, you know, the fit. Um, but really, you know, you, you should have a much cleaner understanding of who your customer demo is and trying to adjust your product for that demo. You know, one, for variable control, you know, early stage companies don't have a lot of budget. You, you really cannot be running more than like a single digit handful of tests, you know, in, in a month, maybe, right? Let, let alone a quarter uh, if you want, you know, sample size and, and all that good stuff. So so really narrowing that down and 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 having a clear understanding. I mean, your product's already built for the most part. I know we're going to iterate through, but you know, having that customer demo and having a confidence in that customer demo time and time again is a common factor in startups who are succeeding because it just clears the deck, minimizes variables, and you're really just able to work on product at that point. But if you're trying to split test both market and product, uh, math is not on your side, whether you realize it or not. Um, and also just generally from a strategic standpoint, it's probably just not a good idea. You know, If you don't know who your customer demo is, um, you know, that's why you might need a marketer on your team earlier than you think, uh, because they can figure that out or at least figure out a viable uh, audience who, who can get you started. Got it. Got it. So you're saying like, and if you're not sure, is the best advice, be take a hypothesis and then prove or disprove it? Like be specific? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get even a, a little more aggressive with it. You know, I think the the best the best path is is to try and get even a little stronger than a hypothesis. You know, I think not all hypotheses are the same. A hypothesis can be a loosely held hypothesis, and a hypothesis can be very well informed. You know, when I started Marketer Hire, my hypothesis around who our customer demo is and why they would buy our product was very well informed because I've been in marketing for 20 years, right? I, I've sold it on the agency side. I've been in-house. I've done consulting. As part of why I was very effective in crafting this is because I've sold marketing in basically every other way you can possibly sell it. And so I create the new product. That's the new thing. You know, I think depending on what you're building, if, if you are really understand the industry and the product you're building, you can have a really strong hypothesis. And, and you should just know, you know, if you've been in a certain part of tech or, or, or you've been an engineer or you've been in pet food for five years, 10 years, you know, you should know, you shouldn't be guessing. If you are guessing, I think something is missing. So I, I would take a step back and, you know, treat it like an early stage process where, you know, do some interviews, do, do some focus grouping. I mean, if you can get the answers from a handful of people, if you ask, you know, a tight cohort that is representative of who you might go after and just like really, you know, really fish around it. So I, I would kind of take a step back because I think if, almost any form of testing, you want it to be kind of this last part of optimization. Like that's sure, like test for optimization, but at an early stage, you shouldn't be testing for the strategy. You shouldn't be testing for the tactics because the math is just not going to be on your side. And I think it's indicative of, of a larger sort of, um, you know, doubt that you might have or, 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 or an Got incomplete it. thesis around what you're actually trying to do with this business if you're testing to find out who your customer is, right? Okay. Where it says, oh, I know who it is. I know the demo. I know, you know, the title they have at this business. And I'm going to kind of find out which of our selling points right at the end is maybe more effective. Like, that's okay. But don't test to find out who the target market is. That That's too big a question to test. Got it. Okay, perfect. So let's um, say it's a very early stage startup. They've got um, a product, maybe some technical founders, product founders, things like that. What's the best first marketing addition to the team? Yeah, you know, I mean, leadership. If, if there's no marketing experience on the team, I, I, I would I would get leadership. So it doesn't have to be in-house, doesn't have to be a bunch of hours, but someone who's been there before. So someone who, you know, whether it's an advisor or someone hourly, uh, or, or a hire or in-house hire, um, but someone in that, you know, CMO or marketing manager, director of marketing, growth marketer, whatever you want to call it, but someone who has managed the uh, managing a marketing mix and ecosystem before has done it a few times. Uh, so they have the war stories, they have the mistakes, you know, they have experience and to come and say, Hey, take a look at my business and help us begin to put, you know, put a plan together and put one foot in front of the other. Um, I think one of the biggest Things that, that 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 I see is is just this you know this sort of general still concept that marketing is a thing to be done later or is just about customer acquisition or it's very expensive, um, but it's not. I mean, it's a thing that if if you have any sense that you are trying to grow your business um, nowadays, you know, like most talent, you can have marketing in your DNA from day one, um, and it's going to be much better because again, you know, I've, yep. I talked to hundreds of startups a year, you know, uh, uh, people send them to me all the time. And there's a clear delineation between the ones who try to do it themselves. And then for six months, 12 months, whatever it is. And then by the time they get to, to me, because they say, Hey, can Chris, you know, talk to Chris, he'll, he'll, you know, take a look at what you're doing. Um, there's a huge difference in what they managed to achieve versus, you know, a company that maybe had marketing in their, you know, marketing yeah. in their team somehow early on. It's just night and day. Um, and, and the biggest problem is we normally have to go back and rerun all their experiments because usually the experiments have been done incorrectly. 
How do you think about um, full-time versus contract? And I know that at Marketer Hire, you enable people to hire for projects and for it, or contract to hire. So how, how would you help a founder think that through at the very beginning? Yeah, I, I think it's about just, you know, for Marketer, we always talk about what is the right amount of the right marketer, but importantly, right now. That's kind of what we look at. So you know, if I need to, you know, at, at each stage, at each point in time, your needs might be different. Getting the right amount of the right people for really any role, forget marketing, any role of the company is super important and very empowering. So I think you know, early on, in-house hires tend to be more difficult. Uh, I will also, you know, it's also uh, harder depending on your connections. I think probably everyone in, in the Village Global community, um, I, at least through Village Global, you know, can, can, can get in touch with some great people. Um, but, you know, it's harder to hire someone in-house. You know, great people have a lot of options. It can be hard to get them to join your company, join your mission. Uh, you might spend months chasing that person. So I think speed is really important, right? I don't think that's a, I think that's a common thing for every startup to say, oh, speed's really important. Well, then apply that to your hiring, to apply that to your resourcing. Let's call it resourcing, not even hiring. You can hire a, the right person hourly and just begin to get that intelligence into your business. You can do that right now. You know, market a hire or not, you can do that right now. Whereas searching for this unicorn, you know, growth marketer who's going to join your company for the next five years, you know, that might take months, if ever. Um, so so I, I would prioritize just being open about the, the, the status of the contract Got in it. order to get that intelligence into your company as soon as possible. And you've, um, you said a frequently asked question that you received is, how do I hire a great growth marketer? What's your answer to that question? Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we joked about it earlier. I, you, know, uh, uh, you know, I think growth is a great term um, that apply, you know, for me, mostly applies to like product and business. I think it's a great role. Um, in marketing, it's it's a little redundant. Um, I think I think for the most part, growth marketers, um, the job looks a lot like a marketing manager or 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 maybe a director of marketing. You know, because the growth marketer is often in, in a lead role for an early stage company. So you know, I, I wouldn't look at it as being this new role. It, it's not really a new role. It's just someone to kind of oversee marketing, look at the data, look full funnel, and identify opportunities, and then be able to develop tactics to attack those opportunities. That's been a job forever in marketing. So, so I think that's the first thing is, is not to kind of think of it as if you're pursuing this, this new role and this new specialty yeah. and, and you have to go to all these weird places with people with different backgrounds. It's, it's a normal role. It's a normal yeah. job. Um, that's one. And then two, you just want someone, I, I think it's about experience. You know, I think that's kind of a big thing that I'll, I'll say to early stage founders too. You don't want your marketing to be a variable. Right. You don't want to say, hey, uh, I've got someone running my marketing who's, you know, used to be an engineer for the last like six years. And then they just decided to become a growth hacker. And like now they run my marketing. Like there's no reason. There's no reason for that. You know, if I'm building an engineering team, I'm not going to pursue, you know, people with like weird backgrounds or like I've never you know worked at a startup before because I think it needs like new energy. It doesn't. It's a job to be done. It's it's, you know, it's like a plumber. There are good plumbers. Uh, I would just hire someone who's done the work. Uh, ideally, in multiple uh, multiple times for multiple companies, because what what's really helpful for an early stage company is you get someone who's made the mistakes, who's seen this work in multiple environments, and then they can apply it to your business and really de-risk you. Right? You really want to just have minimal risky variables because your product is already such a big variable. You just want to have everything else kind of be like a solid eight out of ten. Right? Um, if <laughs> yep. you're if you're banking on it being just eleven out of ten. It's unrealistic and probably not the right mindset. So I, I would just look for someone who's done it before, you know, had success and in multiple environments 
Um, and then again, just, just have them come and join your team for whatever engagement you can get. Because uh, early stage, you probably don't need it to be full-time. You, you, you right. really don't. You want to have someone come in, set that plan, make sure you, you're not making any mistakes, um, and then you know, put one foot in front of the other. Great. And what makes a great job description or role description as you're hiring your first marketing hires? Yeah, was, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, we, we had that question, you know, kind of a, a couple of days ago and I was thinking about it and, you know, one, I, I tweeted it, but one was, you know, make sure that someone who like works in marketing ha- has looked at it or even written it, ideally. You know, we, we see a lot of startup job descriptions. Um, again, I'm sure it's in other functions too, but in marketing, where it's very clear that the person who wrote it is not in marketing or or at least um, you know, doesn't have a lot of experience in marketing. There's just channels in there that don't go together. Very often you look at a job description and you're like, this doesn't suit like anybody. Like no one exists who has these things in this amount. Um, and, and, and that's really important because if you're trying to attract great talent, uh, no one wants to join a company with a JD. You look at it and you're like, well, this is, doesn't make sense, right? It, it's, it's indicative of, of a larger issue. Um, so I would make sure that someone with a lot of marketing experience has looked at it and given you two cents. And I would really avoid, um, you know, scope creep, but apply to job descriptions. Oh, this would be nice. This would be nice. This would be nice. Any additional thing, if you kind of imagine, you know, it being like a filter set on a search, like every time you click on it, I click on another variable, the pool gets smaller, right? So really be clear on what you need and stick to the mandatory stuff. Don't throw things in there that would be nice. There's no such thing as would be nice. That's just... <laughs> That's just, you know, startups want you to do extra things. Like if you don't know exactly what you need, then you need to talk to a marketer to help you with that JD. If you do know exactly what you need, don't sneak in other things because it, it will just make it unrealistic. Got it. And then how do you vet people? Do you assign projects? And I know it varies a little bit, but any specific examples there? Yeah, you know, for, for us, it's a little different because we, we have like a, you know, where we have a lot of great marketing talent who work at Market to Hire, you know, um, Tracy, our director of marketing, I think I saw is, is actually in attendance here. Um, and, and she's got a great process. Um, so we're a little different because we're very heavy on marketing. So, so you know, we, we do it our way. I think for if you're a, if you're a founder who or a team that doesn't have a lot of marketing experience in it and you're trying to vet, I, I would lean on someone else. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it yourself. You know, I would stick to it being about culture and and work and like work style fit so you know ask some open questions what would you do in this case how would you approach x and just like see if you get confidence from how they communicate it to you because ultimately a lot of this and you know and for marketer hire you know we're very confident in our technical in our technical vetting right we, we, we vet for whether or not this person's a good mark a good marketer and has a technical chops. We also try and vet for are they going to be a good communicator and, and a good freelancer. But ultimately, until they start working with the company, the company is a variable as well. You might not like working together. You might not just vibe on, on a certain kind of communication style. So I would look for that and then have someone else, have a marketer friend or someone that, you know, Village Global can put, put you in touch with to, to vet the marketing side of things. You know, I wouldn't try and vet that yourself. And I certainly wouldn't, you know, sort of impose your own strategies on them or, or look for them to say what you wanted them to say, unless you are also a marketer. I, I, think, I think I see that a lot. We get a lot of non-marketing founders with very strong opinions about what their marketing interview, uh, interviewee told them about strategy. You know, that's, that's really not going to, that's, that's never going to work out. I mean, just, right. it's just not, right? Well, so so yeah. I, I would look for work. I would look for that, that peace of mind that was really important. You know, can they convince you of their strategy? Can they, can they give you confidence? Because if you're side-eyeing them, you know, in the interview about like, oh, I don't know if they really give me confidence there, you know, that's going to be the case throughout the working relationship. So you really want to make sure that that's, that's, that's good. 
Super. We have a question from Anusha at um, Liquidly, which is a platform for secondary transactions in private markets. And um, she says, Chris, what is the marketing muscle you think more appropriate for B2B companies versus B2C? Or is it the same? Uh, marketing muscle, I'll interpret as like the resourcing, like the talent. Um, it's, it's very different. It's very different. But, you know, and actually my background is B2B as well. I started in B2B and CRM marketing. Um, but it is really different. You know, a couple of things factor in depending on your stage. You know, one is you might have a sales team. And the dynamic between sales and marketing is incredibly important for any B2B company, right? Even if, it, if you have one salesperson and a marketing team, that interaction is really important. The interaction between the tech stack is really, really important. The sales tech stack, if you're using, you know, Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever, as your CRM, uh, and then there's a marketing tech stack. So, you know, it becomes much more complicated. Uh, B2B is, is, is far more intense and far more complicated um, throughout the entire chain because the teams are different. Uh, sales has an impact. Lead times are much longer. It's less of a direct response conversion funnel. Um, it's much it's much longer term. It's much, it's much more complicated. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and you have to kind of think about usually a lot about content as well. I mean, you know, a lot of people make the case that B2C, uh, you know, that, that content arm is, is really important as well these days, which, which is true, uh, but it is mandatory for, for, for B2B. If you plan to have sensical marketing alongside, you know, usually a, a stack sales team, uh, and then that marketing team has to think about sales enablement as well. You know, what case studies, et cetera, are we producing to empower sales calls, empower sales relationships? So it just really is, again, like multiples uh, more, more, more complicated uh, and, and, uh, in, in sort of every way, um, which is not to say it's like any scarier, but you you really really want someone who knows what they're doing uh, for the B two B side because again, like the interaction between sales and marketing alone is so fundamental that if you don't have experience in building that out, um, you're going to have an extremely leaky funnel. You're going to have really bad handoffs between sales and marketing, and you know it's just it's just not going to work out uh, because again, you're usually trying to close a more limited number of clients you can't afford for 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 a warm lead to drop out because you because you haven't built out that that process enough uh excellent answer and as you think about um if you were starting again what would your tech stack for marketing be and again that's a broad question but just some some of the most successful tech stacks these days yeah yeah it's it, it is a great question you know um and, and funnily enough that there's a lot there's a lot of tech being built uh, you know, Martech, AdTech to, to support um, marketing. But, you know, for the most part, for an early stage company, uh, you can get away with, you know, tried and true, uh, uh, you know, Google Suite, uh, Google Analytics. Um, you know, if you're B2B, the CRM you choose is really important. Again, whether it's HubSpot or, or, or Salesforce or, or something else. Um, but I would just keep it really, really simple. Um, you know, the enemy of early stage marketing is definitely needless complexity. You know, if you run too many tests, if you have too many places where the data fragments, um, it's hard enough to, to have any kind of clean attribution without it being, you know, stored in 10 different places. So so I'll keep it simple. You know, don't get distracted by, oh, hey, my, you know, my, my, my friend's startup is launching a new analytics thing. Like 99% chance that that is going to be much worse for you <laughs> than, 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 what, than just using Google Analytics and, you know, storing most of your data in, in, in a spreadsheet, honestly. You know, uh, the tech stack, um, it changes by vertical. So, you know, if you're, if you're an e-commerce brand, you know, you're, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you'll use, you know, Shopify, Klaviyo, et cetera. Most industries uh, uh, have a, a pretty set tech stack. 
I would just use what everyone else is using. I, I really would avoid trying to innovate there. It just, again, introduces another variable um, and the things that an early stage startup needs are like one one hundredth of the feature set that really any product has. So just keep it keep it really simple. The, again, the more right. platforms you use, the deeper the tech stack, your data is, is going to become untenable. So so I would keep it simple and just and just stick to the basics. Smart. And let's bring up Jerry Ting of Evasort because uh, he has a good question for you. Hey, Jerry. Loved, hey, I loved all your current uh, comments so far. Um, when when you think about the strategy of uh, setting marketing for a firm. We're, we're a growth stage firm, so about 110 employees trying to push from, you know, early revenue to, you know, break uh, breakout revenue, right? So um, B2B SaaS selling contract analytics to both commercial and enterprise customers. So your point of B2C might not work makes sense because if you're selling to Microsoft, um, it, it's a very different experience <laughs> right. than, than right. self-serve, right? So um, but when you think about setting marketing strategy, should we think about it from a leadership perspective, uh, from a brand, from a product marketing, or, or mostly from a growth perspective, um, and, and maybe a blend of both, but what should be the Northern star for a company of our stage? As far as, uh, so when you say an ideal, an ideal background for your, for your marketing leadership, is that, is that kind of what you're asking? Uh, no, we already have a marketing leader in place, but when, when we think about our, you know, budgeting and our strategy, right, it's, yeah. you can, you can do a million things, right? You can do yep. events, you can do SEO, you can do ads, you can do webinars, right? How do you prioritize and how do you think about that when you're B2B enterprise? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So, and, and there's, there's not going to be, you know, there's no silver bullet answer to that, but I'll tell you kind of framework that that worked that I found really helpful. And 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 generally what I, what I, the advice I give is from a lens of, of de-risking. You know, I, I'm a pretty good marketer, but what makes me interesting is I've just done it so many times with people and I've seen so much that I generally aim to de-risk, right? I try to provide something that's going to allow you to, Again, like keep chugging and never look at your marketing and say, man, we, we'd be so good. You know, we'd be flying a rocket ship if only our marketing wasn't so bad. Like that's easy to avoid, actually, right? Versus like, you know, the advice I give you is not going to send your ceiling to the moon because that variable is really your product. Um, so, so when I look at it, I think, that, I think a couple of things that it's helpful is one, you have to look at budget. And then two, you have to look at cadence, right? So when, when you need to achieve something is as important as what you are trying to achieve. You know, to me, it's actually more important than what you're trying to achieve. If it's an, if it's a goal that you're trying to get to by the end of the year or in 12 months, totally different list of strategies than if you're trying to reach it, you know, by the end of the quarter, if you're trying to reach it by a fundraise this summer. So, so that's something that, you know, I, I always see kind of get skipped or, or not really thought about as much when, when I hear, when I hear other people's goal setting is they're not being diligent about setting that time aspect as well. So, you know, I think that's one is, is say, okay, what are we trying to achieve and by when, right? And then depending on that answer, uh, budgeting and tactics becomes a lot cleaner because a lot of these, you know, many, many tactics are unrealistic to mature. Uh, you know, SEO, for example, right? It is unrealistic to say, well, we don't really do much of SEO right now, but I have a fundraise coming up at the end of the summer. And I know that all these investors are going to ask about organic traffic. So let's make sure that organic is now 50% of our acquisition by the end of the summer. It's like 0% chance, not going to happen, right? It's like not actually possible. So so you want to kind of tie those things together. And then if you have the leadership, I think that's how you provide them the goals. You say, hey, look, here's what we need to achieve. And by when, now tell me, what you know, what budget you might need, and and which tactics you want to be able to execute against. Um, I think that's a really really important thing. And again, Tracy's Tracy's who's our marketing leader. You know, we have that conversation all the time. You know, and we choose to have some tactics which we're not planning to be you know 
incredibly meaningful for 12 to 18 months. And we're okay with that. And we carve out a certain percentage of the budget to go to that. And then the rest of we carve out looking at quarterly goals. And, you know, it, it, there's no perfect answer, but that's an answer that we're comfortable with and, and, and we run with. Super. Thank you. And thank you, Jerry. And let's uh, bring up Yvonne. Uh, thank you, Chris, for your advice. Uh, uh, advices. I have a question. I'm really curious. Uh, have you had the chance to see the special marketing specialists who from offshore, so not from U.S., who's good on U.S. market, just to understand if it makes sense to hire someone uh, outside of U.S. because it's cheaper uh, or it's, like, mandatory to find a specialist in the United States? If you're yeah, targeting... Yeah, on... yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it, it kind of goes... The answer's both ways, too, you know, uh, whether a, an American marketer can, can, can market in, in another country. Uh, I think it's simpler than you might think. So from a, from a technical marketing perspective, you know, understanding how Facebook works, how to build our campaigns, understanding the technical aspects of SEO, understanding what goes into brand, you know, all those things are completely fine to to pull someone international who may not understand the local the local market. You know, where it becomes a variable is where you might think language and cultural understanding. And so depending on what your product is, um, that could be that could be better or worse, right? Because um, depending on what you're selling, if it's you know maybe a pure SaaS, you know very uh, engineering heavy technical solution that you know hey as long as you speak the language of engineers and uh, uh, you know backend whatever it'll be fine. Like okay, you know th th that's totally fine. If it's a product that's let's just make again for argument's sake because it could be B 2 B as well. For argument's sake, it's a B 2 C product. I'd probably begin to get a little more uneasy about it. And, and, and it's more about the creative. So it's not about, about how good a marketer they are. It's about whether or not the advertising creative, the messaging, all those things are going to be as good as they could be. Um, and so that just depends on, on language. So if they have no experience in the US, if their language is not perfect and you expect them to drive the creative, you know, whether it's email copy or advertising or landing pages or whatever it is, um, I would be worried about it because you're probably going to be worried about it. And what's going to happen, I promise you, is that let's just say you run three months of tests and the tests are okay. Um, you know, what I look for, like I said, is you don't want to be in, to run a bunch of tests and spend a bunch of money and take a bunch of time and then make excuses. That's kind of the worst thing you can do as a startup. And so I promise you that if you run a bunch of tests and chances are the test results will be like, okay, right? I mean, they're not, going to just suddenly be a rocket ship. It's unlikely. They're not going to be totally garbage. That's unlikely. It's like somewhere in the middle that they're okay. If you're not sure about their language skills, you're going to wonder about it again. And you're going to make excuses again and say, well, maybe it would have worked if we had someone. And then you're screwed. You, made, you, you just wasted three to four months because you're going to question it. So, so I, would, I would get someone, as long as they have you know, really strong language skills and a command of, of, sort of the US market, even if they, if they don't have the experience in it, um, I think that's fine. Or if your product is so technical that it's not about culture, then that's fine. But if it is a, a product that needs someone who understands the market and messaging, um, I probably would avoid it because it, it's going to put down in your mind. And that's the last thing that you need. Got it. Thank you. One more question, uh, just yeah. to clarify. Um, like in case of our startup, we, we, we provide online notary service. And it's pretty legal. Mm. It's legal domain. And yeah. it's also like it needs... It's require a lot of knowledge about the legal forms, etc. And it, I'm I'm curious, like how 
how important for marketer to like to understand the domain, the details of like of the market yeah, so um, deep that you like can generate good ideas for yeah for yeah. So so you know I I think it's one is you, you could get someone who has experience. I think that's that's helpful, right? Oh, I want a marketer who's really understands like notary legal language. Again, that's probably going to be a, a minuscule talent pool, you know, if it even exists where you can access it, right? That, that's, that's a very small group, pretty unlikely that you're going to find someone there. Um, you, you honestly don't need it. You honestly don't need it. You know, I've, I've consulted for 200 startups. I, I do not have domain expertise in 200 industries, right? You just learn it, right? The same thing for, you know, I, I, when you started, I don't know, like, if, if, are you a legal notary? Right. Okay, so if you're not a legal notary and you own the company, right, then you can't have that be a problem for your team too, right? Because it's not a problem for you, right? I mean, you're you're here and, and no one said, hey, you know, I, I you know, Ivan's gonna be terrible because he doesn't know, you know, a uh, notary legal language, right? So same thing there. You expect a professional to learn it, to understand it, for you to help help them understand it, help them understand what the product differentiation is. It's a product question. Um, and if you go to like a large company, the product team has to brief the marketing team, right? So if you're at Apple, Intel, whatever it is, it's a larger, larger company, that's a huge process of briefing the marketing team to say, we have this new product coming out, here's where it's different, here's why it's gonna win. And then a marketing team has to process that and they have to agree and then go to market with the message. So you just do the same thing here. You and the marketer have to sit down, work on it, and then you together feel comfortable with the company's approach uh, when you go to market. You know, it, it's it's unrealistic again to kind of say, "Hey, I, I want someone who understands like legal notary language and also is a great you know marketer." I, just, I mean, just not not a it's not necessary, and it's going to hurt your ability to find someone. Got it. Thank you. Sounds sounds great. Um, thank you so much. And Chris, um, we have a question from Jerry. For marketing ops, there are so many metrics that you can track nowadays. What are the top three that a startup should track? Uh, 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 okay, so I'll, I'll try and answer it a couple of ways because <laughs> obviously that that's um, you know there's not really like a single metric there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think sort of generally, if you keep it first, you know, I'm, a, I'm a marketing traditionalist. You know, I started um, in direct mail and telemarketing and then sort of digital, you know, was there for the whole run of digital kind of emerging and didn't really see any difference. Uh, there's just new channels, you know, technical tools, but basically it was the same uh, methodologies as, as I was doing, you know, with, with direct mail um, and, 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 and offline strategies. So the same thing here, you know, you kind of want to have a sensical funnel. Right. So you need to have like a top of funnel and then a lower funnel and say, okay, I understand my customers when, you know, and, and their stages and, and, and what we're calling them as they move through that funnel. So at the top, for example, like prospects, then, you know, maybe again, I'll call it warm leads. That's maybe, you know, more of a B2B term, but there are equivalents with B2C, you know, and then, and then, and then, you know, qualify to buy customers and then, you know, repeat customers kind of work your way down. So if you kind of stretch it out and just say, look, do you, do I have a good sense? of the customer journey and that funnel from the very first time that they hear about us, however that is, all the way down to buying, all the way down to churn slash repeat buying. If I have that laid out and I know what that looks like for our product, then you just put a measurement on that all the way through and then you monitor that, right? And you monitor that and then you begin to look at it and have hypotheses about which parts of that funnel you want to attack, right? And that's where like growth and and kind of as a concept came out. But again, that's just like, regular work right you just look at it and say okay well yeah i there's a there's a good reason why people are dropping out here so let's leave that alone 
but they're dropping out over here for what we consider a bad reason, for what we consider a bad reason that we believe we can actually affect because we have the right talent or resources or whatever it is to affect this reason. So let's go attack that. Like, like that's what you, that, that's all you need to do, right? And so, you know, top three metrics, you know, it's not really a top three metrics because you'll, you'll get the boring ones. That's like new customers and, you know, retained customers. Like, sure, whatever, right? You know, you, you can have those, but it's really about that whole, that whole funnel and that whole yeah. journey. If you are in command of that funnel, you measure it and you religiously attack it, um, you know, you'll be as good as you can be. You know, it doesn't guarantee success, but it does guarantee that you're not going to be making silly mistakes. Super. Well, let's bring up Indra. Hi, Indra. Hi, Anne. Chris, everyone. Hey, Indra. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in a uh, in brief intro of myself, uh, Indra, the co-founder of Sources, uh, or a live oh, virtual hey. project-based high school. <laughs> yeah, Chris, so you uh, met briefly one time. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I know you already, yeah. Yeah, so reimagining high school education and all that to be, you know, better. <laughs> so uh, I had a question about um, just hiring. So uh, my question is, like, how should you think about hiring for marketing slash growth and scaling from a C stage to Series A uh, stage company? So, you know, once you've identified the target, you know, customer demographic, you've, you know, run your initial, and you, know, you have your overlay, like the various channels that you're pretty sure that you want to scale. Like, just how should you think about hiring, you know, when you have, like, those team members and you're like, great, you know, we're, you're fundraising, we're scaling and now what next? I know we're kind of we're pretty quick, but, but quickly, you know, is there a specific like kink that you're, that, that you kind of found right now? Like, you know, is there something that's not clicking away or, or a specific question? Yeah. Well, I guess uh, this is more from, yes, my uh, personal and experience of, you know, running and scaling a, you know, yeah. fat growing company, but like, how should you think about, you know, I guess I'm just looking for potential, sort of, you know, potholes to avoid or, you know, things yeah, to keep in yeah. mind, like as thinking about hiring, uh, you uh, go, great, yeah, you know, my team members kind of ask yourself, scale. Yeah, you kind of ask yourself two questions. You know, one is, is there someone on your team or in your advisory group who you can ask the question that you just asked me? Right. So that's one. Right. So because if there isn't right, then you either need the marketing leader internally or you need the marketing leader externally who you can lean on to ask this question. Because, you know, this question is a question that, you know, myself and Tracy, we ask ourselves this once a week. Right. On, on our one on one that we have, we ask this question of ourselves. Hey, is this right? Is the team right? What else do we need? What do we think we need in three months? Blah, blah, blah. It is a forever problem. So if, if you don't have that, because your marketing is going to change. The market's going to change in how it reacts to you. Suddenly, you know, Apple blocks a million cookies, right? Like, think, this is the job. It is an ongoing process. It is closer to a scientific process than it is, you know, anything else. Um, and so, and so, you know, you one, you want to make sure you have someone internally or externally that you can rely on to help you answer this question very, very frequently. Uh, and then two, you know, broader and more actionable, I guess, as, as well, is if you if you do believe that you have a good sense, you know, every company now can have a rounded marketing mix, basically at launch. Okay, it doesn't mean that everything's like crazy scale and huge budgets, but you can be in a multi, you want to be in a multi-channel marketing mix, you know, uh, uh, with a number of of strategies and tactics out there, uh, just to create some data that is not biased, is not, you know, cornered into one tactic where in six months, you're like, oh, that one tactic maybe didn't work as well. And now we have data or nothing else. So you want to have a rounded marketing mix. So that's kind of the two things that I would, I would always ask, you know, yourself is one, do I have someone who I trust to be able to ask sort of marketing leadership questions, um, again, on a weekly basis? Uh, and if not, fix that. 
And then two, do I feel like I have a rounded marketing mix? Uh, and if you don't know how to answer that, then you go back to one, you need a marketing leader you can lean on. And two, if you do have an answer to that, you're like, oh yeah, I know that I need to be in five channels, but I'm only in three because budget, because whatever. Um, I wouldn't allow yourself to have any excuse. If, if you've gotten the feedback that you should slash can be in, let's call it five channels, you need to figure out how to get yourself in five channels. You should not sort of just truncate it because that marketing mix takes time to, to gel, takes time to create sensical data, um, and, and you need to give marketing that time. So, so I, I would either you, you know what you need, in which case invest in it, or you don't know what you need, in which case invest in, in making sure that you do know what you need. And like I said, it's not a one-time question. Um, you know, this is a question that's a, a, a once a week question, let alone once a month question for, you know, even an early stage startup. Super. Excellent. Uh, well, thank Good you so much. Future. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, and, um, Chris, um, how should a startup think about marketing budget? Yeah, uh, I guess one a lot. So I think if, you know, you can think in round numbers, you know, and you want to think of it as, as an investment. And then you also want to think about time, you know, kind of like I said to one of the earlier questions. So generally, if, if you know, frequently get asked by an early stage startup who maybe is like making, getting into their first marketing motions or like kind of tires and they're like, I don't know what a budget is. Like, like what should it be, right? There's no like should because it's an all in how you run your business. But that if you if you take an early stage company, you're generally talking about minimums and you're generally talking about like, what's the minimum amount of time to get sensical data. And so, you know, generally speaking on, on, on the lowest end, you know, I call that between like 15 to $20,000 spent over a couple of months. So ideally if you do 15 to $20,000 a month, all in, that's team, that's advertising spend, that's, graphic design, that, that's your total marketing budget, 15 to $20,000 a month over three months. And you need that time because campaigns need time to bake. You need time to adjust. You need to be able to run different experiments. If you can do that over three months, like I'm pretty confident that you're going to have um, a data set that has both true positives and true negatives in it, right? That's really what you want. If you run like $5,000 a month for three months, you know, there's a really good chance that you don't have true positive or true negative data because you probably spread it too thin. You haven't really done anything with any real vigor. You just kind of wasted some time and have some anecdotal stuff that you probably could have found out from just like talking to someone. So, so you really want enough money there to put oomph on the data set and enough time there to put oomph on the data set. So 15 to 20 K all in uh, and people, graphic design, advertising budget all in uh, for three months. Usually, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that gets you there. Um, again, you can do less, it's just less rolls of the dice. And so, you know, much higher chance that you end up with nothing, which is to me always the worst possible thing is to have wasted time and money because you didn't attack it with enough bigger. Great. And then just in the last two minutes, can you tell us um, how do you work with companies? So a company can call you, right? And basically say, look, I need help. And, and your, you and your team will help match them with the right talent. Can you talk a little bit more about how that process works? Yeah, yeah. So we, we deliberately have, you know, uh, what we call a concierge front end. And, and then the product is, you know, technology and data driven in the back end. You know, the matching is done algorithmically. The rates are set algorithmically. So we kind of have this like merging of two marketplace styles. You know, there's the Airbnb concept where, our you know, we have thousands of marketers. They set their own rates. We have a ton of data on them. We have an algorithm that feels matches. Um, but the front end, we really want to be a very clean concierge do it for your experience. So, you know, I'm, I was personally very tired of, and I think just as a general thesis around marketplace products, you know, I don't want to browse Netflix for, you know, 10 hours, right? I don't want to browse Uber Eats and 
every restaurant has four stars. I don't know what that means anymore, right? I also don't trust their recommendation algorithms because it says, hey, you love an Adam Sandler movie because I happen to like pause on the Adam Sandler movie one time. Like that's not good enough either. Um, and so I think, you know, our thing was whole, from day one was we think that everyone just wants it done for them if you can actually do it to the bar that makes them happy, right? And so, you know, that's why on the front end, it's kind of the Uber-y market, marketplace experience where, you know, they just get you a driver that as long as they know where they're going, the car's clean and like they don't try to do anything weird with me, um, I'm pretty happy, right? And so um, same thing for our marketers. You know, we believe we can nail it in one. So we do a 30-minute intake call. That's where actually a lot of the questions I was asked today, we get asked that all the time on these intake calls. And that's why we do a call because in, in, a, in a wizard, all that doubt, all that I'm not sure what I need, I don't know how to set a budget, all that stuff in, in like a self-serve wizard, there's not really a great opportunity for that to allow itself to bake um, and then you know get confidence. So we do it on a call um, and all of, our, all of our account managers and sales team are, are trained on marketing operations to be able to answer all the questions that I answered today. Um, you know, a lot of that goes into it. Um, and we help you get there to say, okay, well, now I realized I, I thought I needed a growth marketer, but I actually need a CMO and a brand marketer. And I actually thought, didn't think I had budget for a whole team, but I do have budget for an email marketer. You get to all of that stuff. Um, then the sales team kicks it over to the product team. They send it all, you know, through our, through our tech product. The match comes back. It's, a, it's one match per role. And we say, great, we have the perfect person for you. It's Sarah. Here's her background. Here's why she's a great fit for you. She's in budget because we know your budget. Um, if she looks good on paper, get on a 30-minute phone call with her to meet. And then if it's two thumbs up because the marketer is interviewing you as much as you're interviewing the marketer, um, then you know, with a marketplace, job starts right away. We handle contracts, billing, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, whether it's HP, Chanel, Netflix, you know, Fortune 500, Unicorn, down to early stage, and you know, we have thousands of all of them, the product experience is the same. And generally, it's about 48 to 72 hours to get your match back. And normally the hire is made in about seven days, um, which is you know, pretty great to answer the, you know, a, a pretty painful question. Thank you again, Chris, for your time and your expertise. And uh, I'm sure you'll hear from a lot of us soon. Thank you great. again. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.com.